Hi, and welcome to another episode of What the Future podcast, brought to you by Future Leaders Mentoring. This week, we're talking about diversity. I'm joined by Vera Mystery and Romain Foster. Hi, both. Hi, Will. Hi, guys. Um, so, just getting straight into it then. Um, Viren, uh, tell me a little bit about your background, you know, where you grew up, your values, and what or who inspires you. So, we're starting with the really small questions to begin with. That's the small question. All right. I've grown up in North London my whole life. Um, fairly sort of, I'd say, mixed-ish neighbourhood. Like, again, I like, didn't think at the time, but like after being around the block a few times, came to appreciate that. I've already forgotten half the question, but I kind of I got the gist of it. Yeah, like sort of grew up, I'm Indian. My parents are from Kenya, so like had that mixed in that flair element to my life. Went to a school where that was pretty mixed in itself, but still remember like some sort of like discrimination from like quite early on. But it was just kind of a way of life rather than something that was labeled like, you know, I didn't recognize there was anything wrong with it until I, I kind of yeah. grew up a little bit, not to sound condescending to myself. In terms of values, like for me, it's just around and I I use this phrase quite a lot now. I didn't quite articulate it like this until I was a teenager, but just don't be a dick. Like I feel like, again, it doesn't sound very profound, but I carry it with me quite a lot because you can kind of boil it down to just as long as you don't do that, you're fine. But also like just being able to empathize with people and kind of see things from different perspectives. Like whilst you might not always agree with them or whilst they might not be the right perspective, you know, morally in black and, black and white, it's just useful to understand where people are coming from, even if it's like completely the wrong end of the stick, for myself anyway. Yeah. In terms of role models, probably anyone who's actively fighting for something they believe, believe in, um, even again, even if it's the wrong thing, like that passion is like really like, and that bravery, I think it really speaks out to me. Also people who are fighting the good fight in terms of like racial justice, equality, sexual justice, equality, climate change, you know, pollution, all that kind of stuff. Like, Anywhere where the money isn't, I feel like I have a newfound respect for people. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's where the money isn't. Got a list like doctors, all those kind of people, world leaders. I'd say more recently, like in the last like particularly five years, artists who speak out against um, injustice as well. Like there's been a almost a new wave in the last like decade or so where that's become more prominent. Um, and it kind of got lost somewhere in the, the turn of the millennium, right? Where you've had like in the 60s and the 80s, I'm going to history lesson, but like loads of people, like loads of artists, but I like really like, you know, fight the power and stuff. And then it kind of died away and now it's kind of coming back. So that's quite exciting. But yeah, in a nutshell, that's kind of, that's kind of it oh, for me. Yeah, that's really good. Um, Romain, do you want me to repeat the question? Would that help or not? Yeah, let me just take some notes at the moment because don't be a dick. I think I'm going to use that ongoing. <laughs> I've got t-shirts coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, repeat the question for me, please. Yeah. Yeah, no worries. So, so Ruin, tell me a little bit about your background, uh, where you grew up, uh, and then move on then to you know your values, what sort of gets you, what helps you get through the day, um, and and who inspires you or, or what indeed. I'm from Birmingham, as you can probably tell from my accent. So. <laughs> I was brought up on a council estate and a bit different to Vera and I was brought up around mostly white people. So I'm obviously of Caribbean background and I wasn't really in my school. I think it was about two or three people who were, were brown skinned. As young as I can remember from my early years up until I would say late teens, all of my friends, everything around me was a white background. So it's a bit different to you there, Vera. So in yeah. terms of racism at the time, I can look at racism in school and reflect back on it and think, oh my God, that was racism. But at the time when I was in it, it wasn't racism to me then, it was the norm. 
And they're the type of conversations I have with friends now. So they wouldn't have seen it as racism. They wouldn't have seen it as me having any struggles. Like, it's the art of fitting in. I remember having to listen to the Backstreet Boys and like me thinking, I don't really like these guys. But yeah. all my friends did. All the friends liked Britney Spears. I never really liked Britney Spears. And I'd go home and listen to a different type of music because my culture at home, my mum would be listening to reggae, we'd be listening to R&B, we'd be listening to well, what we'd call like black music. And yeah. it was different. And then I'd try to introduce that into school and people would look and think, well, what are you listening to? And you've got to remember when you're talking about the 90s, music was different to the way it is now. So music's so accessible. You, anybody can listen to anything. Back then it was pop music, popular oh. music. You had to listen to what was on TV, what was on a Friday night on top of the pops. And if you didn't listen to that, you wasn't accepted. You wasn't within that group. I think I was about 18 before I started. <laughs> I was going to say coming out. It was like you're coming out. You're coming out to your music and who you are as a person. And then I, it was university, actually. When I was at uni, you do meet people from different backgrounds but you meet people who are brave and by brave they're not scared to be who they are whether they're unapologetically black whether they're gay whether they're whatever they are mm. they are very brave and they're the type of people you meet at university and it was at that point I started to see a change in me anybody who knows me I am very pro-black which doesn't mean anti-white which you have mm. to explain to some people I'm unapologetically black but it's taken me a long time to actually get here and I'm becoming stronger every day to talk about the things that I was unable to talk about growing up. When we talk about my values, people like we, we will talk about everybody's got to be treated the same. Everybody's got to be treated the same. And I'm against the grain there. And I feel like I don't like when people say you're brown skinned. I treat you like everybody else. I want you to recognize I'm brown skinned mm. and then treat me evenly on the back of that. I look at I look at somebody who's um, homosexual. I look at someone who's black. I'd look at a female and I'd respect the person they, they are before then treating them equally. I think when you look at a person and think, okay, I'll treat you like everybody else, you're kind of dismissing their history and their past of who they are. I don't want you to do that. I want you to acknowledge my history, acknowledge my past, and then let's have that conversation. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, that's the difference between treating everyone equally and treating everyone fairly, right? Like they're two different yeah. things. Definitely. Sorry, we just had to do a drink. Yeah, no, sorry. Right. Yeah. You're in a roll. <laughs> I was in my element. I was in my element. Yeah. Well, yeah. Difference between treating people equally and treating people fairly. But you need a combination of both. You need to find that balance. But people don't understand that because you grow up and you have a way of living your life. And if you've made a sandwich the same way for twenty years, and then Ian and I turn around to you and say you've been making it wrong, you're going to say no, I haven't been. How do I yeah. tell you you're making the sandwich wrong? Yeah especially when you really care about a sandwich. This is a great analogy, by the way, but it reminds me of... Um... Sorry, you might hear a few of them today. <laughs> Sorry, everyone loves a sandwich. Or maybe, yeah, maybe, I don't know, I should say that. But, um, like, yeah, it's, there was a... I think there's a um, psychologist or, like, a political scientist or some, someone, a philosopher called, like, Daniel Dennett, and he says there's no polite way to tell someone they've been doing something wrong for their whole life. Like, it's just, it's just one of those things. Um, I think the difference here is because every it is by definition always going to be subjective. So people yeah. feel a bit more protective about it or a bit more like tenuous about it. So I think it's about how to navigate those conversations. Um, that's, and, that's the thing about yeah. diversity as well, because it's an opinion. Diversity mm. isn't two add twos four. It's not a simple formula. It's different. It's everyone's perception of what that actually looks like. And mine's going to look completely different to you guys. 
And that's the learning piece. So when we speak about how can we be more diverse, here's the best analogy ever would be football. You'll hear people argue who's better, Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. And you can't tell the other fan that the other one's better. They will argue to blue in their face because there is no right and wrong answer to it. And diversity is very similar. I can't tell you what diversity is and what it looks like and what we should do to magically make it disappear because my version of that will be different to yours. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Mm. I suppose like the best we can do is like clear up the picture a little bit at a time, right? And that's the hard part. Who, who's who's going to clear out the picture? <laughs> because everyone's got something to say. You're just going to say yeah. we have a vaccine. Someone say no, we can't have a vaccine. Someone's going to oppose what you've got to say. Yeah, it's the whole uh, analogy of what um, 10 people in a room and 11 different opinions or something, right? 100%. 100%. And then you've got to you've got to go on the side of equality because you're speaking diversity and you picture equality and everyone has their version, their interpretation of what equality is. But I've heard a saying before, and you know, if all you've known is privilege, equality will feel like oppression. Yeah. And it will. So... If I if I you've, I've raised the bar, the bar is in the middle here. That's equality. So what we're saying is people are above the bar, people are below the bar. So ultimately, you're telling people above the bar to come down. Mm. That's what we're saying here. Who's going to want to mm. come down? I wouldn't. Yeah. Let's put it into perspective in working work. So I've got my own car parking space. I love my space. I've earned it. I've had one of, of all my companies. So I always swindle one. I don't know how I do it. <laughs> I have parking space. So I've got my own parking space and then a new guy comes into work, a new director and says, you know what, I want to be fair. I want to treat everybody equally. So you're not going to get that car parking space anymore. You've got to be at work at eight o'clock on the dock. If you're not, it's first come first serve. If you don't get it, you're going to be late to work. And we're like, no way, I want more space. And that's just the car parking space. So when you turn that into the real world and that's jobs and that's a way of life, you can see how people opposed to it. Yeah. Especially when it becomes like, so people start to get comfortable with not living within their means, but like, you know, whatever the, the opposite of that is, where they get used to a certain way of life and they have to like fund that. And then, you know, the black and white is, you know, if you tell people that, you know, everyone's all for equal pay until it hurts them in the pocket, right? Like, so if you tell people, right, great, everyone's going to get equal pay, everyone's going to get a 20% pay rise or a 10% pay rise. Yeah. But, the, but the, for the people at the top, they're going to have to get a 5% pay cut. I mean, you know, relatively speaking, it's a huge amount of money. I mean, you can, you can, you know, whilst you know what the right thing to do is, but you can see why they don't want to do it or why they won't do it because you can put yourself in that situation. And that's where I think, you know, empathy is important, but it has to work the other way around as well. Um, it's very rare that you'd find somebody fighting the corner of equality who says that they wouldn't take that advantage themselves because I'm yeah. fighting the corner. But Ian, if you give me a pay rise of 20 grand, I'm taking it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's <laughs> Yeah, Remain, it remains boss. If you're watching, if you're listening, like there you go, there's your invitation. <laughs> <laughs> and just just moving into the workplace then, because I mean, it, everything you've said is really fascinating to me because it's kind of it's opening my eyes to things that I wouldn't have considered previously. So you know, I, I grew up in the Welsh Valleys, and there, there certainly wasn't a lot of diversity um, where I grew up. Um, and and uh, really? <laughs> and obviously I realized that you know you know Welsh people aren't a race but if you were to say to me hey Ian stop telling people you're Welsh stop listening to Welsh music stop saying you love Tom Jones and the stereophonics and and being the Welsh person you are when you were in school then then I would have I would have 
I would have really struggled with that and it would have been confusing. So so that that that's it just kind of blows my mind really that that's the sort of experiences that that, that you would have had. So we've, got, we've also got to remember, sorry to put in there, we've got to remember we, we wasn't actually being told to stop. We didn't really know it was there. So it was like you'd be in a world in Wales where you don't even know Tom Jones is there. He's not actually famous. Dolly mm. Parton's instead. But when you go home, Tom Jones is there. You're thinking, I want to speak, listen to Tom Jones, but school want to listen to Dolly Parton. Yeah. I think, I think the other other thing is, just following on from that, it's not that the time to follow on from Tom Jones, it's more that if you listen to Tom Jones, you, you you might get you know ridiculed a little bit, or people go, "Oh, well, you listen to Tom Jones, oh, you're typical Welsh and stuff like that." And it's it's said said in probably in a less lovable way than that sometimes as well. Um, so it does sting quite a bit, and then afterwards, like you subconsciously just like don't bother telling people, or you try and hide that part of you, which I appreciate is not what we're getting into. But I thought I had to chip in with the Tom because it's Tom Jones, and I love him. So well, I mean, if you're not talking about Tom Jones, then you know. I know. Yeah, Viren, did you just ask if the stereophonics were Welsh? Yeah, I had no idea. Well, yes, absolutely. I mean, I love them, but clearly I'm not a big fan compared to you. Clearly, <laughs> clearly, yes. So just... I knew the Welsh. I knew the Welsh. <laughs> All right, you set up. <laughs> so bringing this into the workplace then. Yeah. Um, so so from, from your point of view, um, Romain, how would, you, how would you assess the state of, of racial diversity in the workplace? Well, at the moment, it's a tick box. Uh, you know, I can only speak about previous companies I've, I've been at and conversations I've had with people who work for companies. And this is the feeling amongst a lot of people, you know, people of colour, that a lot of roles are given just to tick a box. It's a trend at the moment. Diversity, racism, it's all a trend. It's a hashtag. So people are seen to be jumping on the bandwagon and they'll look at their um, their senior leadership team and think, oh my God, we need to make some changes here. When you think about it, you can go into my, my um, background's contact centres and I, again, I can only go on companies I've worked for historically. Can't really talk about my company now because like, it's a bit different in terms of um, diversity, to be honest with you. But previous companies, you, all you need to do is look at the workforce and you're talking to up to 90% of the people on the floors so are people of colour. And then you look at the management teams and the management teams aren't. Yeah. So, if you want to dig that, if you want to go backwards and think, why is that? Because the unconscious bias is there at this point now, because I don't for one minute think that anybody's in the interview will say, we're not hiring that person because of a person of colour. I don't think it's a conscious decision. I think it's an unconscious decision, which makes it more dangerous because people need to be aware that those types of decisions are happening because mm. the numbers just don't do not stack up. I've been in a position where I've actually called that out in the past. I've actually said, well, guys, the numbers do not stack up. And, and when you say something like that, you're raising an issue about race. And raising an, raising an issue about race is difficult when it is not a trend. If it's not a trend, if it's not in social media, it's not a hashtag, you're not going to be defended by the company because it's the fear of the unknown. They don't mm. understand. So yeah. then you feel isolated again. And you're isolated because of an issue of race, which falls under the bracket racism. Yeah, yeah, I see that, and 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 I guess you know going go to that un, unconscious sort of bias point there, yeah. um, you, you know, it's it's a, it's an easy thing for people to become defensive of. So if you're if you were to come to me and say, hey, Ian, um, just looking at looking at us as a business, we're just not very diverse. But but you can't tell me that that's because the talent isn't there. There's mm -hmm. got to be something else. Then. You know, do, do do I become defensive and kind of go, oh, hang on, 
you know, are you calling me a racist or is it something else? And it's a, it's, it's a, I'm sure that it would have been a really difficult conversation for you to have raised it, but equally, it's not great if that person then instantly goes into defense mode rather than just trying to understand it. Of course, and this is why you have to approach the conversation with absolute care. Like calling somebody a racist is, it, it's, it's, someone has to be directly calling you words to be called a racist. And we need to separate the terms racist and racism, the two different things. So the ism is the piece where it's more of a, a social construct which has been built, whereas the ist would be direct. So it's a person would be a racist. So they've made comments towards somebody. So it's not the actual thought process or the, mm. the social construct or foundation that's been built. So when you're speaking about the workplace, you're talking about inherent racism. So somebody could be completely non-racist, but be a part of racism yes. in a, um, an organization. And that's the person who will get their back up unless mm. they want to take a step back and learn a bit. Because yeah. like you said a moment ago, the term racist gets thrown. No one said that. Nobody's yeah. used the term racist, but it will get thrown straight away. Like when I raised this, I was actually in a conversation with our hate, well, with a HR team about it. And they thought that I'd called people racist. And then I thought, wow, I had to explain this piece. Well, oh, oh. all I pointed out was there's a complete difference between the amount of people who are on the floor in regards to management so in terms of color sorry so we, like i said the percentages were like 90 percent of people of color on the floor and yet the management team were 90 i probably the only no me and another person were probably the only brown team manager and above at that that time mm. so if people aren't comfortable to have those conversations where do i go from there yeah. because all that will happen all that did happen is i get suppressed i get shut down the company feel that oh, it's been dealt with, we've dealt with that. But no, I never let go of that. I've been through racism my whole life. So that's going to be there. It's yeah. just been yeah. on the carpet. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you, you brought up that racist and racism are two completely different things because they really are. They get conflated quite a lot. And like I, so I work in editorial, right? So like I work with language a lot. And I think it's, it's really important. And I think I always use Trump as an example. I think for me, that's a watershed moment, like Trump and Brexit, where the power of language was really really underestimated especially when it comes to racism or sexism or even like any of that kind of stuff and the nuances are really important because the the word racist versus racism there's a few letters there that are different but the the trigger is completely mm -hmm. different um i agree with remain like i think diversity is is a nice to have right now it's it's a, it's a marketing it's a marketing employee right now for companies like I, I would wager that not one business in the world is completely diverse right now. Like I put, I put money on it like some serious cash because even if they did hire, and this is where it gets tricky, but even if they did hire people and so they like on paper had like a, a, a diverse mix of like ethnicities and sexualities and all that kind of stuff, it wouldn't be a true, true reflection because the reasons they're doing it aren't because someone's good at their job. They're making a conscious effort to like, you know, we'll hire you because you're black or we'll hire you because you're brown or we'll hire you because you're a woman rather than recognize that you are good at your job. And I think part of that is because people aren't trying hard enough, quite frankly. But I think part of that is deep in terms of from education and like poverty levels in society. Like you need to, and it's a long burn. You have to get, get in like to communities from the start and support them. And you don't just look at who you can hire now. You look at in 10 years time. Yeah. How can you how can you how can you make your team more diverse and it and, and without sacrificing that skill? I think the other thing that I wanted to quickly touch on is, and I've noticed it at quite a few businesses, is 
quite often you have uh, you have you know tokens or poster people like poster child or poster boys where you go I oh, know it's fine we've got one of those direct well you know the two out of three of us here are colored right so that, it's fine we've got those people in senior positions who are who are colored who are who, who are women or who are you know transsexual or whatever that might be mm-hmm. so we're good of, of course of course we, we we love everyone and all that kind of stuff and that that in itself is dangerous but I think what goes beyond that is when that person does something that is inherently self-destructive or destructive to a community they represent so if you have a colored person on a board saying x y and z that immediately with even if they didn't mean it that way even if other people don't see it that way to a large portion of people who hear whatever they say they will inherently assume and take that that person's word as gospel and i think that's one of the issues i'll take with identity politics is as, as soon as someone says you know as a brown person i believe this if you have someone in a position of power saying that immediately some people or most people think that's a fair representation and i think it goes back to you know me and Romain are both colored but we've had very different uh, upbringings and experiences we're both from the uk completely different upbringings and experiences right like so i think and i, I don't know what the answer is apart from we just talk more about it right now but um i think that's just something to call out and for us to be aware of that mm. it is dangerous and it's not going to be something that we fix in the next five years. It's not, but it's, I mean, I hope we get a lot closer in the next five years, but I think it's going to be like decades of work still to go. And, and how do I, so, so as a, um, you know, as, as a leader, so I can, I can recognize and I can be open and say, um, I might have been part of the problem previously uh, unknowingly, um, and it may have been unconscious bias. So, so accepting that I was part of the problem initially and kind of, um, be, being uh, strong enough to say that but then what do, what do I do next how do I ensure that I'm not part of the trend how do I ensure that I am actively you know trying to do something different that that people recognize because I'm still I'm still educating myself so I can still make mistakes along the way and kind of go yeah I'm, I'm, I'm making mistakes but how do I how do I ensure that that I'm, I'm doing things right Vern? I I think step one is probably and this is just me speaking as me right so it's probably not the right answer but it's just my answer is step one is acknowledging that you know you might have you might not have been part of the problem but you might have been part of the problem I think just understanding that you could have been part of the problem whether or not you 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 wanted to or 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 meant to is step one I think the other one is just then looking at what what can you do short-term and long-term to support people and help people and empathize with people and I think you need to do both at the same time because there's a lot of there's a ton of stuff you can do short term in terms of like i mean future leaders for example these podcasts are another great example of just like putting people putting different opinions out there and having these conversations or supporting people with i don't know it might be a training course for your team to, to help upskill people who are who might not have had other opportunities but then long term like looking at the communities that you want to touch and you know you have to start small unless you're like you know freaking jeff bezos or something um so if you you know if anyone rich has listened to this you know get on it but looking at communities like you start from schools start from supporting single mothers and single fathers you know start start from right you know at the offset let's start with you know thinking about you know abortion and you know what you need to support people that go through hard hardships because once you start giving people opportunities from a younger and younger age you start to close that gap like people talk about the wealth gap and the income gap what about the education gap what about the you know I don't know whether it's a thing what about the trauma gap like that's huge right like you look at the amount of disadvantage I don't have stats in front of me but 
Um, you look at the you know amount of uh, mi minority communities who are at a disadvantage because of the trauma they go through, even if that trauma is like down to just being a first or second generation immigrant and experiencing racism and discrimination in school. You know, mm -hmm. like I, I still remember people at school making fun of like my parents because they couldn't speak English properly or they could speak English properly. They had an accent, right? That was it. Mm -hmm. They had an accent. So I was like thinking about it. 10 years after the incident, because I was really ashamed at the time, like quite shamedly, I'll say that. Like, I was like, why does my dad have to have an accent? Or why does my mom have to have an accent? Da, 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 da. And I made a conscious effort to make sure that I sounded white, right? Mm. Um, although it resulted in like pretty good diction, if I do say so myself. But a few years afterwards, I was like, hang on a minute, my, my parents can speak like two or three languages. Why the fuck do I feel like this? Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's like getting to the grips with that and what that does to people psychologically. Yeah. and thinking about like e even if it's like setting up a community for like a playgroup for your kids right that's that's enough uh, they're just trying to do things like that um beyond that i don't know maybe remains got something a bit more tangible and a bit less rambly to offer yeah um no that was good that was good there's a few things i'll probably touch on um remind me to step into trauma in a moment um, <laughs> I, I think though what i'll say ian is um viren spoke about the the do the action my question always is to everybody who asks a similar question of what can I do about diversity is, do you understand the why? Do you understand why you want to do it at the moment? And that question hasn't re doesn't really get answered very well mm -hmm. because the trend is usually the reason that people are forced to actually do it. So for me, it would be take yourself away, understand the why, understand why you want to continue yeah. making the world better in terms of diversity. And then everything will come natural at that point. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, so, so thinking, so when, when I was listening to you both speaking at the beginning, I was thinking, you know, how many, how many businesses have people speaking eloquently about the issue, like, like you both have? How many businesses say, hey, we need to talk about this, so let's start with, um, with, with, with a conversation? Um, so, so, so if, if I had no previous experience, my why would have been listening to you both and kind of going, shit, that, that isn't good. That's not, that's not, that's not fair. Um, and, and, you know, for me, you know, helping people is at, at the core of what I want to do, whether it's, you know, in, in, in sort of industry or, or otherwise. So listening to you both, I kind of want to reach out through the, through the PC and kind of go, what can I do to help? Ian, well done you for the first time ever. You're the minority. Because <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, not, not everybody's like that. They yeah. see it's cheap. They see we must do this. We need to be seen to be doing this. Yeah. I, I work in BPO, so like I know to acquire certain business, you need to act a certain way. We need to be seen to be acting a certain way. And I know that because I've had conversations with senior leaders about this type of thing, and no one's ever said anything like that. Mm. Nobody has. Nobody yeah. understands it, which and that's great though. When somebody says, I don't understand, whoa, that's brilliant. This mm. is their time to learn. Not everybody understands everything, but that's yeah. our time to learn. So it's a case of at that point is what can I do to understand? Because taking my opinions, not the answer. That's not the answer. It's speaking to a range of different people to understand everybody's needs, everybody's wants, everybody's pains. And mm. only then can you come to some sort of decision. No, I agree with that. That reminds me of a um my girlfriend's gonna kill me if she listens to this. It, it, it reminded me of a South Park episode that aired years ago. I think it's called with apologies to Jesse Jackson, where one of the characters says the N-word on national television. And the whole episode is about how his son has to go to school 
and is scared of talking to the black kid and tries to make excuses for his dad or tries to say he gets it. And what it ends, and it's a great episode, it's like 20 minutes, and it ends with the resolution being the kid goes up to the black kid and goes, actually, you know what? I get it. I don't understand. And I never will. And that's the whole episode. It's about his transformation yeah. and going, actually, I can never understand what it's like. And the guy's like, no, that's great. That's all I wanted. I just wanted you to acknowledge that you never would understand. And they just, you know, <laughs> he was worried he was going to get in a fight or whatever. But I just, it really, really reminded me of that. Um, I was going to say something else, but I've completely forgotten, and it's my own fault now. But I think that, that was right. a lot that you spoke about the N word. So, Ian, I don't know if you know, but you'll hit that's the that the certain conversations on race that you will have with every white person who wants to speak to you about race, and it's like we use the N word, and how come we can't then? But that will come up nine times out of ten whenever mm. we speak about race. So you get to a stage where initially you become the teacher and you're educating people. Yeah. But People of colour are at that stage now where we like, you know what? Google. We're actually fed up. We're actually yeah. done. Yeah, yeah, We've yeah, actually yeah. people. So when people ask me why, what they're actually saying to me is, I'm not going to find the answer. You justify yourself. Mm. Okay. That's yeah. how I take that. That is a good point. I, and I suppose I know I realize it's a it's one question and there could be 50 questions, but I suppose, you know, why is that one question important, actually? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's what's that got to do with you know, systematic racism. There are people who don't understand. There are people who, it's a loaded question because they, what they're really saying is, they're saying is, I think I could say it. That's what they're saying. So what I say to people is, if you want to say the word, you can say it. If you want to come to a party with me and all my cousins and family are there and the room's full of a hundred black guys and you want to say that word, if you're going to say it in that group, you know what, hands up, high five. I'll let you say it. But if you won't say it in that group, that means you're consciously not saying it, which mm. means you've consciously made a decision, which means you know it's wrong. Yes. You're yes. choosing to say it around certain people. Yes, definitely. So uh, I was just going to say, sorry, but we're, so we're, uh, we're quickly running out of time here. Um, <laughs> and, and it's such a, listening to you both speaking, I, I think we could go on for another couple of hours. So hopefully we can get another couple of episodes from you both talking about this and, and, I think if there's anybody listening, there's so many things that they, they will be picking up from this. So just to finish on maybe more of a positive note then, um, just, just thinking, you know, Romain, what, what, what do you think the sort of the future holds? How do you feel about the future? The future is in a good place. So I was at um, a Black Lives Matter march in Birmingham about, two, about last summer, I think it was. And... I turned up there, well, my, my preconceptions was I'd go there and I'd see a load of black faces, which I did see. But to see the allyship, should I say, of the amount of white faces that were there and passionately driving the sport for Black Lives Matter was something that knocked me off my seat, to be honest with you. I didn't expect to see it. I did not expect to see it. That's the thing. Hmm. I just didn't expect to see it. And then listening to people now, friends that I've had reach out, asking me questions, trying to understand what it was like for me in school, trying to understand how things have changed, how things can change and what they could do. I feel like we're in a good place. There is the however, Viren touched on it earlier on, school, that's where the changes need to happen. Racism um, appeared to me in school. I, I remember the moment when I first experienced my first racial moment, it was from my history teacher, I won't name her. And she spoke about the British empire and how powerful the British empire was. Great Britain, blah, 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 blah. And I used to think this sounds horrible. And then I picture, I know, imaginations as a kid are wild, but I'm sure I picture her looking at me and pointing and saying, you guys were slaves. And she probably didn't do that because my imagination is wild and I was a child. 
However, that was the feeling and that's what I've left with. So that's what we taught in school. And I remember on the back of that, my close friends, we didn't know about anything like that because we're not, ta- we're not taught about the, the rich history of black people. We're not taught about that. And like one person told me previously, history is told by the oppressor, not the oppressed. That's, that's perfect. It really is because you can ask other people all over the world and their interpretation of English history is completely different to ours. And until we have some changes in school, until the curriculum acknowledges that people are even equal sorry people do have rich backgrounds and until that happens there's there's no hope because children are racist children are born into racism because as we said earlier on it's a construct or they don't choose to be racist they don't choose discriminating against anybody that happens through learning it's a learned behavior yeah i'm a big believer that hate is taught love is known um which is something i made up on a step on a t-shirt as well so thank you um but yeah i i completely I, I agree to an extent like i i'm pessimistic or cynical about the next five to ten years but i think after that like endlessly positive like when i look at young people now they blow my mind that like, honestly like the, the, the just how progressive they are or have come come along like since i was in school is like just freaking crazy like these 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 guys are like so diverse so inclusive so switched on so hungry to like want to get involved and want to learn more it makes me feel inadequate in the best best way my, my issue is currently with like just the current constructs and the current like system of like you know failed capitalism we now have in place where it doesn't work for people it's like the, the minority controlling the majority rather than listening to the majority um so something needs to change in the way that we we act in the way that we fund our schools and the way that we like um, regulate businesses and all that kind of stuff. And um, I hope that we'll have that change will have to be quite radical over the next five or 10 years. And I'm hoping it happens in time for when all these like bright young kids like graduate in whatever sense, whether they go to university or just like graduate from like education in general or enter the working world, whatever that means and in almost a decade from now that they actually are empowered to drive change and like they, they can actually spread their wings and, you know, live in a, in, in a world where, you know, they, they, they don't have to worry that, you know, they're the only colored person in their office or they don't have to act like the white person or, you know, they, they can order a, you know, they can order an orange juice instead of going out with like beers with, you know, with, for beers with like 12 men, right? Like it, it needs to be a different working um, world to the one that we grew up in. So people feel more comfortable with actually getting on with it and like helping create a better world. So I think I'll be a bit topsy-turvy for the while, for, for a little while. Um, but I think that's probably a good thing to kind of, we need to like ruffle a few feathers. We need to shake things up and we need to like get, get really uncomfortable to kind of figure out what the best way forward is. But yeah, like it remains said, what, what gives me hope is that like, like honestly, like some of these people who are like, like 16 years old even right now and i think you could probably do my job in about two years like it's crazy but it's crazy good so yeah. positive in that regard cool thanks Buren. thank you both um great uh, podcast tonight um really sort of blew my mind how it's how it's opened opened up my thinking a lot so thank you both for that um so so uh, if you want to hear any more from us you can subscribe to us on spotify and apple music and to stay up to date with any other content uh, you can follow us on linkedin And of course, if you want to find a mentor or would like to become a mentor, you can take a look at us on uh, futureleadersmentoring.com. So until next time, everybody, thank you very much. And we will speak to you soon.